God sees our misery. He hears our cries. God knows our sin. He hears us call for help. And out of slavery, God frees us. Good morning. My name is Rich Fino, and I'm a pastor on our staff. I've asked them to touch up that picture a little bit, but I guess they haven't done that. I want to share a story with you that I heard recently about uh, an 85-year-old man on a beautiful fall, sun-filled day like today. He, he, was, he was standing on the edge of a pond, and he, he was fishing. He was casting into the pond, and and just enjoying the day, and all of a sudden, he, he heard a little voice saying, Mister, Mister, look down. And he looked down, and, and here was this frog. And the frog said, Mister, Mister, if, if you give me a kiss, I'll turn into a beautiful young princess. So he reached down, he picked up the frog, he looked at the frog, he said, she said to him once again, Sir, sir, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful young princess. Took the frog, put it in his pocket, and once again, sir, kiss me, kiss me. He said, listen, at my age, I'd much rather have a talking frog. (laughs) So people often wonder, what, what does that have to do with the sermon? It does, it does. This is a sermon about God freeing us, that that frog needed to be freed and turned into that beautiful, lovely young princess. Well, we continue on in this sermon series, coming to know the love of God yesterday, today, and forever. We're in the third week of eight weeks, and two weeks ago, Melissa Shazer talked about God creating everything in creation, and that God created us. And God looked at it and he said, everything is good. Uh, And then we fell away from God through sin. And it was God's design that we be in relationship to and with him. And that, Melissa told us, it's God's hope that we would be mirrors, that we would reflect God to the world. Last week, Carrie Gleason talked about being claimed by God to be again in a relationship with him that God calls us, he commissions us to go out into the world to make a difference, to make disciples of all people. Now this day, we will look at God's relationship with Moses and how God, through Moses, will free his people from slavery so that they could be in relationship with Yahweh, with God. Our story for today is found in Exodus chapter 3, and what's happening is God is calling Moses to do great things, but we know that Moses was a broken human being who made a lot of mistakes. We know that he was placed in a basket in the reeds of the river Nile because Pharaoh had ordered that all Hebrew male babies would be slaughtered. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter, 
and she hired a slave woman to nurse the baby, who was actually his mother. At some point in his upbringing, she had to let go of him, so the Pharaoh's daughter and the Egyptian women in the palace raised him, and he enjoyed a life of luxury in the palace. Now, as an adult, Moses defends a Hebrew man who who was in a fight with an Egyptian. And Moses ends up killing this man. He thought that nobody had witnessed this happening, but he was wrong, and his horrible secret was exposed, and he knew he had to flee, that he had to escape his past. So he went up to Midian, a mountainous desert region east of Egypt. He went up to a place called God's Mountain, Mount Horab. There he befriends a shepherd girl, and he chases off some other shepherds that are harassing her and trying to rob her. And then he ends up giving water to her sheep, watering her flock. He meets her father, Jericho, Jethro, and he's given her hand in marriage to Moses. They start a family. Moses with his wife, Zephorah, and his son, Gershon. Moses realized that he felt like an immigrant in a foreign land. It wasn't his land. And during this 40-year period of shepherding the sheep with Jethro, The king of Egypt dies, and the Israelites cry out. They cry out to be rescued from slavery, and their cries rose up to God. God heard their groanings, and he remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God comes to meet Moses where he is in order to restore his relationship to him. Moses encounters God, a God who wanted to free him from his sin and his undealt with guilt. See, Moses had been running from God for these last 40 years. And here's where we catch up with the story in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. Then Moses said to himself, after seeing the flame, he said, let me check out this amazing sight and I'll find out why the bush isn't burning. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called out to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. And then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. The bush was chosen by God. The fire was created by God. And Moses encounters God in this burning bush experience. And God calls out to him from the burning bush and says, Moses, Moses. Now, it's important for you to know that that this was like a bonfire in a bush. 
There's no snapping or sizzling or popping, and the leaves are still green on the bush. Moses stops dead in his tracks, and then he realizes this bush has called his name. And so he steps out toward the bush, and God instructs him to stop, to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. See, his curiosity becomes a holy place for God to encounter him. And just in case Moses is uncertain as to who's talking to him, God for the second time identifies himself. I'm the God of your ancestors, the same God that they worshiped. The fire is God himself. And Moses hides his face. For to look at the face of God is to see his own sin compared to God's glory and power. It was believed that to look into the face of God, a human could die. Again, in verses 6 through 10. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. So Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of justice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. And I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of the land and bring them to a good and broad land. A land that's full of milk and honey. A place where the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God called Moses. He is sending Moses to free his people oppressed, to bring them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And it's fascinating that God uses the term for the first time, my people, a possessive way to describe his people. See, that's, that's a time where he owns the Israelites and the Hebrews as his people. And that it's true that God's people, he wants to free from the very things that are enslaving them, the Egyptians. But see, God is our God and we are his people. And he wants to free us of the very things that enslave us. That's why he sent Jesus to redeem us, to rescue us from our sin and to restore us to a right relationship with him. This is an awesome task that God has put on the shoulders of Moses, especially someone as flawed as him. God is concerned about his people's suffering and he has a plan to rescue them. And Moses is that plan. Looking at verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I am, I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here 
and worship God on this mountain. Now immediately in the next chapter, Moses comes up with a number of reasons. He, they just start flying out of his mouth why God shouldn't call him. Who am I? What will I tell them? What if they don't believe me? How will I do it? Immediate fear and inadequacy. And then a final begging to God in the next chapter to send somebody else. God responds to Moses. He says, Moses, it's not about you. It's about me. I am. I am is a complete sentence for an almighty God. He stands alone. And he says, I am with you. I'm all you need. I'm your strength. I'm the one who sends you. And I'm the one who chooses to free Israel. It's not about you, Moses. And he does it not because he has to, but because he wants to. Because he's a God of compassion who desires a relationship with his people. So, so what's to be learned about freedom for us? Well, first and foremost, God is the one who frees his broken people. God is the one who loves us more than we could ever know or imagine. And God is the one who never gives up on us. See, his desire, his desire is to use the broken pieces of our lives to heal and redeem and restore and rescue us. God desires our wholeness and our satisfaction to accomplish some of the great things for God, just like Moses did. See, God chooses to confess us, to forgive us of our sins. When we confess our sins, we are given God's forgiveness and grace. And we know that because our sins were nailed to the cross. For once and for all, not only does Jesus overcome death, but sin for us. He overcomes death in an empty tomb. He takes our sin and redeems us on a cross. He gives us this free gift of unmerited grace that we don't deserve, but it's not based on whether we deserve it or not. It's given freely by the very nature of Christ. See, Jesus is our atoning sacrifice, and he gives us so much of himself. He gives us this grace and the forgiveness new every morning. And he promises this to us in John 10.10. 10, that he has come, that he has come to give us life. That he has come to give us the abundant life. So that we could live life to the fullest. See, not only did God love us so much that he gave us his one and only begotten son. So that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. But he promises us not only eternal life, but he promises us an abundant life here in this kingdom on earth. But truth be told, most of us don't know what it means to be held captive. Most of us don't know what it means to live in slavery. 
But I would say that most of us, most of us, of us are captive to something in our lives. Something that consumes us, something that rules our life and can even cause us to abandon our faith. What are some of those things that we've been held captive to? What are some of those things that we need freedom from? It might be a relationship that's destructive, that dishonors both you and dishonors God. It could be that we're so stuck and attached to money and resources and power that we're consumed in consumption. Or it might be our need for approval at all cost, for recognition and acceptance, even compromising our values and who we are. It could be our compulsive dependencies and addictions to alcohol and chemicals or, or pornography or, or you name it, it could be work. I had a friend of mine this week tell me that his first marriage ended in divorce because he was working 16 to 18 hours a day. He needed freedom from his workaholism. See, maybe some of us have this overwhelming need to always be connected to social media where our phones have become an appendage stuck to our palms and our ears. And like some of you, I worry. I worry about this growing lack of human interaction. I worry about this need to be connected to information in the immediate. Yes, I think it's true that, that many of us are experiencing profound loneliness more than ever before. And many of us are choosing media over face-to-face communication. For some of us, our souls need freedom. They need healing from wounding and trauma, from abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical and emotional abuse. We need freedom from that. We need to be freed from the idea that we aren't good enough, that we can never measure up, that we're unworthy of love. We need to be freed from negative self-talk our poor self-esteem, our heart full of shame. We need to be freed from that. We need to be freed from a grudge, a a bitterness, an unforgiveness, a pride, a negativity. We might need to be, be freed from our impatience and our desire to control other people to be like us. And for many of us, we need to be freed We need to be freed from our fears, our all-consuming fear about the world, about politics, about hatred, about how polarized we are. I sat next to an elder at session this week who said, Rich, I, I am done listening to the news. He said, when I commute to work and commute back a half an hour each way, I'm listening to every news channel I can, and I'm realizing it's stressing me out. So I made a decision. I made a decision to listen to the Bible in a year. And so he's listening to the Bible on his commutes. And he's learning and he's growing. And he's understanding God's love for him. See, I think it's easier. It's easier to stay in a pattern of slavery because we're familiar with it. And we're comfortable being captive. And we don't like to change. And we especially don't like to reach out for help. We need help. 
And it's okay. It's not okay not to ask for help. See, because all of these things are barriers around us that keep us from the fullness and the abundance that we are offered. They keep us from full freedom in Christ. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we lived into the, to the design that God has created us for? What would it look like for us to be so freed up that we trust God, that we have faith, that we act out in service, that, that we follow God deeply in a loving and dependent relationship? What would that look like? See, the Israelites were not free to, to just go out on their own, but they were freed to follow God, to be his people, to be in relationship with them. And the Exodus story is not about Moses becoming a hero, but it's about God working through him in relationship with him to free his people from slavery into something better. See, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who opens the door for us, who promises to free us so that we can experience the fullness of life, which is what he's created us for. I so appreciate a movement called AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I so appreciate Al-Anon because it's a way to recovery and freedom. See, I really believe that it's more a model of the church and what Jesus intended the church to be than the church has become in many ways. The first step is that freedom starts with an awareness and an ability to humbly admit that we are powerless over what? What are you powerless over? And that our lives have become unmanageable in that powerlessness. We're out of control. The second step is, is that, we, that we have to come to believe that only a power greater than us, God, can restore us to sanity. That we need to make a decision in the third step to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And the fifth step, admitting to God and ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, the things that we're enslaved to, the disease that we have. There are eight more steps to freedom. And I love the fact that in our community, just blocks away on Xerxes Avenue and 63rd Street, we, we have a church called the Recovery Love Church where one of our own, Mark Herman, leads. They worship every Saturday afternoon at 5.30. Great place to get support, to be loved. Okay, so I'm bringing it home now. God uses burning bushes to get our attention. And God desires to meet each of us on holy ground like he met Moses. And he gets our attention. And he tells us we need to hear in order to be freed to do what he's called us to do. See, the burning bushes in my life are the people who are willing to invest in me. Voices that are willing to speak into my weak and flawed character. Those voices teach me and they mentor me. And they forgive me. See, these are the folks who are patient with me, knowing that I'm a a work in progress, knowing that God is not finished with me yet. 
Those burning bushes are my wife Jody. There are our family, Josh and Steph and Jesse and Kirsty. There's even little Odin that is shaping my character. It's my friend Heather and Reed and Scott. It's my men's small group. So here's my encouragement. Don't be afraid to get close to the burning bushes in your lives. They will help you identify what you need freedom from. Don't be afraid to get close. Get right up there. Because when you get close to that bush, you'll see the face of Christ. And you won't die, but you will live. Because you will be standing on holy ground in front of a a loving God who wants to free all of us. Let's pray together. Holy God, we acknowledge that we try to do it all on our own, that we acknowledge that we need to be aware of the things that we need to be freed from. And we know that we try to do it ourselves and we we really can't. But we have to admit that only you can restore us. Only you can free us. And so I pray that this morning you will not only hear our confession, that that we'll not only acknowledge that we haven't lived fully the way you abundantly have created us to live, but God, help us to see the things that we're enslaved to. Help us to seek others, to give us direction and guidance, other people to be the burning bushes in our lives so that we can see clearly how you desire to heal, restore us, redeem us. So thank you that you never give up on us, that you love us so much, and that you are the one that frees us. So free us this morning to be the people that you've created us to be, to be kingdom builders and kingdom bringers on this earth. In your holy name I pray, amen.